Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, which is certainly what the, not, what the Lord gives us. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And we're not heard for our many words, but for our, our kind of words. What kind of words do we pray? And the Lord gives us those. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, not yet knowing what our Father knows, but needing to know, our Lord says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, help us to not only understand, but may these words penetrate our, our lives, hearts. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've heard it said that, that great prayer is not an eloquent prayer or a long prayer, but a great prayer is a prayer that has a great awareness of a great God. And that really helps me. That I'm, I'm not praying to get anybody's attention. I am praying in order that God could get my attention. And in prayer, there's nothing more important than why we pray that God gets our attention. And in the Lord's Prayer, before there is a petition, there is a declaration. And the purpose and the reason for the declaration is to get our attention, to give us that great awareness of a great God so that we could pray great prayers, not to impress anybody, but to have God get our attention. You gotta love English people. They give us the word drab. And so Dr. Packer also continues that uh, a, um, drab prayers <laughs> come from a drab knowledge of God. And they make drab people, drab Christians. <laughs> I'll be pausing on these four words, our Father in heaven this morning. Our Lord asks the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's a great question. These are words of faith. These are words that fill us with the kind of faith, praying with faith, that are to be heard in this world until the Son of Man comes. May the Lord preserve us in them and help us to continue in them, our Father in heaven, because they are the vocabulary of a believing, trusting heart, our Father in heaven. They are words that we use to adore God. And the reason they are used to adore God is because they declare to us something of God's greatness before we ever get to our petitions. In the Newsweek newsletter to the uh, church this past week, Lori borrowed a metaphor that uses or that says this, that as you train the twig or as you bend the twig, so the tree will grow. You bend it that way long enough. Some of you are gonna be working on that this spring. You've got a tree, a uh, twig that's growing in the wrong direction. And so you'll tie it up so it'll grow the right way. These are words that bend the twig in the right direction so that our, our roots could go down and we would grow in the right way. 
our Father who is in heaven, are words that, that strap us in to hold us and bend us in the right direction. They are also tremendous words of armor, of spiritual armor to put on each and every day. Our Father who is in heaven. Words of, of our dependence on God and our, our defiance of the world. Our Father in heaven helps us to put on the helmet of salvation to protect our mind, to protect our thoughts, to, to help us in what we are thinking, what we are saying to ourselves. But it is also, our Father in heaven is also a tremendous sword thrust of the Spirit to destroy the lies of the devil and to defy all in this world that is set up against our Father who is in heaven. And so the words, our Father in heaven, are words by which every lie of the devil is thwarted and every truth of grace is revealed. I used to think that these words were, were for me to, in order to, to lay hold of God. And I, I now understand them in, in a slightly different way, that they are, are words that are used in order that God could lay hold of me. And I'm pretty good at letting go of God. And I trust that he's not near as good as letting go of me. Our Father who is in heaven words that God lays hold of us and bends us in the right direction and gives us armor to put on. Two words that are put together, the words Father and heaven, are significantly put together that change everything. They are wonderful truths in and of themselves, standing alone, our Father and also who is in heaven. But you put those two words together and it truly changes everything. The first word is Father. It is not a name that we give to God. The creature does not name the creator. We do not give names to God. God names himself. God brought all the animals, all of the creatures before Adam and Adam named all of the creatures, but Adam never named God. God only ever in the scriptures names himself. And the names that he gives himself are significant for he understands that by putting, giving us a name to speak to him, he's telling us how to understand him. And by giving us the name Father, he is giving us a word that declares to us the, the pinnacle of his gracious, steadfast love. We are loved by a heavenly Father. It, in one word, sums up the adopting, saving, calling, and covenant love of God. One word. But it's not by itself. It's paired with another word, our Father who is in heaven. And some of you may think of heaven simply as a distant place. Well, that confirms everything I've always known, that yes, he's a heavenly Father, but man, he's so far away, I can't even see him have absolutely no clue what he's doing. He's up there in heaven somewhere. The word heaven is not a declaration of distance. It's a declaration of rule. Psalm 115 says that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. In other words, the word heavens are a declaration that God is completely free, autonomous, and sovereign over all that he 
has made. He is not like us. He is not a creature. He is in heaven. It is the place that the apostle John in the book of Revelation says that he turned to see the voice. I heard a voice and I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And what John saw was exactly what is described for us in the phrase, our father who is in heaven. It says that he saw the alpha and the omega. It says that he saw the one who is, who was, and is to come. It says that he saw the almighty. Heaven is a place of power, authority, glory, holiness, and peace. God is at peace when we say our Father in heaven. We're speaking to somebody who is, is so great in his rule that he is undisturbed in the accomplishing of his purposes. That's why Paul can say, let the peace of God guard your heart. Psalm 33, 15, the Lord looks down from heaven from where he sits enthroned and he sees all the inhabitants of earth. The words, our Father in heaven, put those two ideas together, steadfast love and almightiness. It would be one thing if we knew, it's a great thing to know that God loves us, that he loves us with steadfast love. But what if the one who loved us with steadfast love was weak and powerless? It's a wonderful thing to know that God is in heaven, that he rules over all things, that his dominion is, is, is unconquerable. But what if a knowledge of that God was not also of steadfast love? And so it is a wonderful demonstration of the, of the perfections of God coming together that is what makes him glorious. He is both, he is both almighty and he is full of steadfast love. It's very similar to Psalm 23, verse one. The words that I go over in my head over and over and over again, five words. The Lord is my shepherd. Tremendous thing to know that, that God is powerful and has dominion. He is Lord over all things. But what if... I didn't know him. What if he didn't guide me? What if he didn't help me? He's also my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but my shepherd. Also, the Lord's prayer is a declaration beginning with the words, our Father who is in heaven. The one who is almighty loves us. And the one who loves us is almighty. The main point that I'd like to get across this morning, if you don't get anything else this morning, I, I hope you can get this. That these words, our Father in heaven, I identify a, a specific person in a specific place. Our Father who is in heaven. Although the word place isn't really the right word to describe heaven, it's more like a plane. It's more like a sphere. It identifies a particular person in a particular sphere. 
And that sphere, as I said, is the place where God rules over all things. And those two truths of God's steadfast love and his almightiness, we, we sang it already in the hymn, Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. Both merciful and mighty. That those two truths intersect with the two main components of our reality. And what I mean by that is we have an inner reality and we have an outer reality that make up our existence in this world. And the two truths of a father with steadfast love who is in heaven, who rules over all things, intersects with those two realities that make up our existence, that we are loved and that God rules over all things. Let me put a, an, an image in your mind, very simply, of an intersection. I, I grew up on, on a farm uh, 20 miles from town, and there was a crossroad every mile. We went over 20 intersections before we could get to town. Sometimes as kids, we'd go over them as fast as we could to see if Dad's old Buick could get a little bit of weight lifted off the ground. And uh, I'm sure you never did things like that. But the intersections that you cross, you look both ways to know that if there's somebody coming, you're learning how to drive, there's something coming that, that's significant. And so imagine this, there's two intersections and the knowledge of God is on the move. The knowledge of God is headed towards two intersections and those two intersections are those two realities. That one first intersection is the reality of, of when, you, when you look within. And the, the, the words, our Father, intersect with that reality where we ask the questions looking within. Am I loved? Am I safe? Am I secure? Do I have any worth? Where can I find significance? All of those things that make up our inner reality. This simple prayer or declaration in prayer that God, that Jesus gives us to declare over and over and over again intersects with that inner reality. And then there is the other reality of the outer sphere, the sphere of this world, the, the world that we look out upon us that scripture often calls this present evil age, the world in which we feel so helpless, the, the world that we feel is so fragile at times, a world that is so full of brokenness and, and corrupt and full of injustice, a world that makes us sad, a world that makes us angry, all at the same time. <laughs> and that is intersected significantly by these words, by this prayer, that there is divine rule in this world because we have a Father who is in heaven. Let me stop simply to, to point out the obvious. Sometimes the things that we believe, we don't pray. And the things that we pray, we don't believe. These are not truths only to be believed, but they are truths to be believed, but also to be prayed. To use these words together, our Father who is in heaven. I hope that you can see that those words, our Father in heaven, are not, not merely a, a ritual to recite, not merely a, a religious habit that we have, but they are words that affect the very presence of God in heaven. 
I'm convinced that Revelation chapter 8 is talking about words exactly like this, where it says in Revelation chapter 8, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I think it's so significant, where heaven is a noisy place and all that is going on to declare the praise and the majesty of God from all his created beings, and God says, hush, then <laughs> there was silence in heaven. And God says, hush, around his holy throne, because what he says what he hears is ascending to him are the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the saints arise to him like incense and it says in revelation chapter 8 that an angel is commanded to take that incense to take those prayers of the saints words like this our father who is in heaven and to hurl them back down upon the earth as instruments of the kingdom of god so you see this isn't just merely a personal habit it's not merely a religious ritual. It's an instrument of the kingdom of God that we're instructed to do. And by saying these words, we're doing God's work on earth through his will and through his power. It's words that are sent down to the earth back to the earth after ascending to heaven as instruments of the kingdom of God to deliver people from lies and in the world to destroy every authority that is set up against God because he rules, he is in heaven. And so it is a declaration of truth, but it's, it's also an invocation, an invocation. It's also an inviting of God's work into this world, his grace and his power into this dark world as an instrument of the kingdom of God. going to work through two quick points about deliverance and sustenance. I've known and memorized the Lord's Prayer since I was a child. And I'm finding I've got a lot to learn about it. One of the things that I'm learning and that nobody ever told me is that these were not new words that Jesus was using to his disciples and to the crowd. That Jesus was quoting the Old Testament, particularly the, the book of Isaiah and the Psalms, other places. When Jesus used these words, our Father who is in heaven, he was teaching his disciples to pray words that were already familiar to them, words that were already dear to them, words that already had significant meaning into them. And by using these words, our Father in heaven, he was drawing their minds into the whole history of God's redemption of the nation of the people of Israel. And using these words would have triggered in their heads so much of the history of Israel as a nation. I never knew that. Isaiah 63, verse 15. Isaiah says this, look down from heaven and see, speaking to God, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. That's the place where God rules, where your zeal and your might is. Verse 16 for you are our Father. 
Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. The words, our Father in heaven, were already familiar words to God's people when Jesus was teaching. And what those words from Isaiah hearken back to, he's, he's himself using redemption history in Isaiah to, to hearken back all the way back to Moses in the desert tending sheep. And God appears to him in the burning bush. And this is what God says to Moses. I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to go into Pharaoh's room, that throne. And this is what I want you to say. I want you to say, this is uh, Exodus 4.22. I want you to say that Israel is my son. Let my people go. I am their father. And so these words, our father is in heaven, is reflective of a, of a yearning all through, also in there in Isaiah, of a yearning of Israel, looking to their father to help them. The psalmist also speaks of it from Psalm 89, verse 26. It says this, that he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. So imagine when the disciples hear these words. You know how, how it is sometimes when you, when you hear certain words said in a certain place, it triggers your imagination with so much that is going on. And I think that's where we've been left behind in learning how to understand the Lord's Prayer. Here I am trying to teach and explain what it means to pray these words. But in the disciples, in the Jewish mind, there already would have been things just exploding, bringing up into their memory and their understanding of all that these words trigger our Father who is in heaven. And what it would have meant to them, all of these things, I mean, just think about it, all of that God that did in that first exodus, all that God did in his covenant love, in his almighty power to demonstrate it over Pharaoh, to deliver his people through the plagues, put blood on their mantle, save their firstborn, take them out uh, through the Red Sea and, and burying Pharaoh at the bottom of the sea and them dancing on the seashore proclaiming God's greatness over all their enemies, saving them. This is the kind of things that, that, that would have been triggered in their understanding of the, in these words, our Father who is in heaven. And so you can imagine that when they hear these words, with all of those thoughts, that they would have clearly understood this idea, our Father in heaven. Prepare to get delivered. Prepare to be taken from your slavery. You have a father who is in heaven. You are slaves. But God has heard your prayers or groanings. As sometimes we would use even these words with groanings. Our father who is in heaven. And so 
These words, our Father in heaven, are words that recall all of God's mercy and his mightiness that came together to deliver. All that enslaves us, only it isn't a deliver from Pharaoh. Like in the first Exodus, this is the second Exodus. And even in the second Exodus that Jesus is signaling, it's not a deliverance from Caesar. I'll talk about this in a few weeks when we get to your kingdom come and your will be done. There's no words directed to Caesar in the whole prayer. Caesar can only see the back of our head as we talk to our Father who is in heaven. But there is deliverance, but it's deliverance from sin, it's deliverance from the devil, it's deliverance from all that enslaves us in this world. That's why the, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, his epistle to the church in Galatia, spends a lot of time talking about this, that you're free. Why would you go back to slavery? Who has bewitched you? Why would you want to be enslaved again? You have been set free. Hebrews chapter two speaks also of the slavery that we're delivered from through the son as we're brought to the father, that he delivered all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. You know that? That's a big subject right there. All the ways that the fear of death is reflected in our lives and enslaves us. Our Father who is in heaven, prepare to get delivered. But not only delivered, sustained. See, the people in the first exodus were, were not only brought out in, um, through the Red Sea and, and delivered from all of their slavery, they were also brought out into the wilderness where that same idea needed to sustain them. The covenant love of God in the wilderness. Would it sustain them? And it didn't. They all died in the wilderness because it was one thing to be delivered. It was another thing to be sustained. We want to go back to Egypt. So while these words, our Father in heaven, deliver us from slavery, they, they don't deliver us from all affliction. That's why James, that was read earlier, can speak of do something for people that are in affliction. Let your religion be practical because there are orphans and there are widows as examples of there is affliction in this world. And so we need words that sustain us. And these words, our Father in heaven, are, are words that not only deliver us, but they sustain us. They not only recall the history of redemption, they also anticipate the culmination of redemption. Yes, they, 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 they point to the past to stir in our imagination all that God has done and all of his power that he has done to deliver his people, but they also point us to the future and all that God will yet do because he is merciful and almighty. And what we are anticipating that God will yet do is what sustains us, is what keeps us going in times of affliction, which keeps us going 
when there is wildernesses in our lives. They are words that deliver us and they sustain us. And all of the longing that God has put in us to see his mercy and his mightiness, almightiness, seen in all of its greatness. In other words, the words, our Father in heaven, the words, in particularly the words in heaven, speak of that rule, speak of that kingdom, speak of that power. And to invoke these words, to use them as an instrument, to use them as a tool, to invite God using these words, our Father in heaven, is to believe in something, is to, is to look for something, is to hope for something. And that is that kingdom breaking into this present age by God's rule. Even the age in which we live, that, that external reality, which is a part of our experience in this world, that God would break into that, this age by his rule, using these words, our Father who is in heaven. And they are words that, that give us a new identity in this world. They take our passport and they, they stamp it as visitor they stamp our passport as pilgrim, as non-resident. Like Abraham, Hebrews 11, verse 10, said that while in Canaan, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, we're not only stirred by what God has done, we're stirred by what God will do. We're looking for the new Jerusalem. We know that in all of his covenant love, that in all of his almightiness, that he has not done revealing it yet. And he will come with love, with grace, with power, with justice, with judgment over all things. The book of Revelation is so purposeful and should be so effective also in stamping these things upon the church through the visions that John gave to the churches to say this, that yes, you live where Satan has his throne. You live in Babylon now. But as you see that throne, as you see all of God's grace to his people, as you see all of God's power, there is a real connection between this present age and our heavenly father who rules in heaven. A very real connection. And we're invoking that connection when we pray our father who is in heaven. Isaac Watts wrote, O God, our help in ages past. That's the past. Our hope for years to come. That's the future our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. I wonder if you know how to use these words. I wonder if you know how to pick them up and, and use them in your own life, our Father who is in heaven. To know something of the the love of God paired with the power of God. I wonder if, like me, you sometimes are awake at night. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 91 who says that you will keep me safe from 
the arrows by day and the terrors by night. There's a difference between the day and the night. The devil stalks us differently in the night than in the day. There's arrows by day and terror by night. And I wonder if, like me, sometimes you hear things, noises in the house. Like I can hear sometimes a clock going tick, tock, <laughs> tick, tock. And I've used to turn these words over in my mind over and over again. The Lord loves me, tick. The Lord is almighty, talk. The Lord has, God, God has adopted me, tick. <laughs> he is unconquerable, talk. Tick, talk. The pendulum swinging back and forth, being absorbed in both of those truths. And if you were laying there and you heard only tick, all of a sudden you'd be wide awake. Why is there no talk? There should be a tick-tock, not just a tick. And it's true. There is, in this declaration, there is a tick-tock. Psalm 102, verse 12. You, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered, remembered through all generations. In other words, till the Lord comes. You will arise and have pity on Zion. Such mercy. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear. Speaking of Jerusalem as a metaphor for God's place and you have pity on her dust nations will fear the name of the Lord and all of the kings of the earth will fear your glory they have no choice for the Lord builds up Zion he appears in his glory he regards the prayer of the destitute and he does not despise their prayers. Amen, praise the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you that the words that you give us, you yourself love, you don't despise them. Thank you that our Lord himself even used these words of dependence upon his heavenly Father. That our Lord knew his Father's love he knew his father's almightiness and it is what made him an obedient son, a fearing son that was delivered from the grave and sustained in all of his agony. Lord, thank you that we, as our Lord, who is our older brother, as your people can use these same words, our father who is in heaven, would you please deliver us uh, from all that lies to us within? Would you please deliver us from all in the world that gives us such fear and 
instability. Thank you for your kingdom, that it is great and full of love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.